HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello. Welcome back to the Heritage Radio Network's Farm Report. It's a rainy Thursday here in Bushwick, Brooklyn, in the back of Roberta's. Uh, it's me, Heather Halliman here. And Aaron Fairbanks. And we have um, the author of a new book that just was released, Primal Cuts, Cooking with America's Best Butchers, Marisa Gujana, in-house with us today. Welcome to the Heritage Radio Network. Thank you. Happy to be here. Marisa, thank you so much for coming. You were hustling here, right? Where are you coming from? I just came from uh, Martha Stewart Living Network. It's very white and all the surfaces were clean. (laughs) I'm just going to paint the picture. The Heritage Radio Station (laughs) is a little cozier than that. Um, We do have a boar on the wall. (laughs) It's feeling pretty snuggly in here. Um, And we are so happy to have you um, kind of launching your book tour. So let's kind of set the scene a little bit. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of where you're coming from and what what your history is pre-fantastic book? Mm, It's a long, sordid history, but... um, Just give us the juicy bits. (laughs) Um, Well, in 2005, I took a left turn from... I used to live in New York, actually, and I moved back to California, and I... Um, I was a playwright and my dad asked me to take over uh, the family meat business and so I started running that and um, I got really into it and I decided that if I was going to do it I wanted to do it my way which meant buying um, animals from local farmers so I started sourcing meat and kicking the factory farm box beef out slowly and so now that's that's what we do we buy whole animals from local farmers, um, butcher them, either for them to sell at farmer's markets or um, for us to sell wholesale. And um, eventually my sort of writing itch came back. And um, so I started working um, as an editor and contributor at Meat Paper Magazine. And um, I write for some edible magazines and things like that and started food writing. And then um, the idea for Primal Cuts came up and it was like just heaven for me to travel around the country interviewing butchers. And I know. I was like reading through the book and I'm like, man, this girl stole my dream. <laughs> she didn't miss much. What, yeah. what was the, the tour like? How did you decide where you were going to go and who you were going to visit? Some of the places were really apparent and, you know, especially working with meat paper and slow food and stuff. I um, had the chance to connect with a lot of people around the country around 
agriculture. And so I especially knew a lot of farmers. I was like, where does your meat go? Who, you know, where does it end up? Um, I also, in places where I was less um, naturally connected, like the middle of the country. <laughs> you found Scott Balzano there. Yeah, Scott was amazing. I mean, I called Edible Magazine editors. I called Slow Food Chapters. I talked to, um, you know, just smart foodie people that I knew. And then I would just call the people and sometimes it was like oh dead end (laughs) you know like you're not we're not really um working from the same set of principles here but um it was really easy to tell when I was like on the phone with someone who was I consider my people and um and then I I took a few plane trips like to New Orleans and Texas but then um I rented a Prius I flew to New York I rented a Prius and I just drove for 11,000 miles Wow. Yeah, in like four months, and it was crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. Was it just you? Mm-hmm. I was originally going to hire, we were going to hire a photographer for the book, and um, I was like, that's so awkward. Like, it's enough that I have to go meet these people and and bond with them and get inside their world and to have another person there, and then to just be with someone for 11,000 miles, like, I'd have to pick that person. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to learn how to take pictures, so yeah. I did. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, there are some beautiful ones in the book, definitely. Yeah, so you visited, let's talk a little bit about the types of places you visited okay. for people who haven't seen the book yet. So you were looking at retail shops, mm-hmm. restaurants, butchers, mm-hmm. kind of what was the scope? Um, and did that change kind of throughout? Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, I was thinking all just old school butchers, and I was really just going to focus on the craft, the knife skills. But I, I realize that's not really where my heart is. Like, I wanted to tell the story of what's happening with meat and how it's moving from the farm to the table and how local food systems are being created and how like vital and important and necessary the butcher is to that. And so... I just couldn't work with a bunch of 50 just old school guys. It had to be people in restaurants because a lot of the people that are buying whole animals and doing amazing charcuterie and all that stuff are in restaurants. And, you know, it had to be at funky little grocery stores and processing plants and butcher shops. So I hope that um, if you really look at everyone, then you get this sort of pastiche that tells a story about where the sustainable food movement is with meat now. So I, I picked very different kinds of people. Yeah, that's what Heather and I were kind of wondering. Um, you know, butchers have gotten a lot of attention, a lot mm, of press. I mean, yeah. I think your, your your book really speaks to this kind of growing interest. Mm. Um, and it's very hot right now. Yeah. We, 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 we didn't really have a sense, though, of whether this is a craft that is on the rise or on the mm. decline, mm. because I, I think the people who are getting a lot of the attention, mm. my senses are pr- kind of a small number. And then yeah. you have this old kind of grouping of like you said you know 50 60 year old guys who've been cutting meat at the back of the Mm. iga or the superfoods or or whatever it is did you get a sense for you know where you think the profession is heading Mm. well the people in this book are a little tiny little percentage they're a Mm. little niche you know as you guys know the same with farmers who are selling their food directly and um but they're growing and I think the thing that's really important is to support their education. And a lot of these people taught themselves or learned really quickly so that they could get their vision on the, you know, happening. Really quickly, like the pork is here and it needs to be cut. <laughs> Somebody that's how hand I me learned. a knife. That's how I learned. I'm yeah. Like, um, okay, so here we go. <laughs> yeah. Or like, 
you know, Tom Mylan is like has this amazing shop, you know, and he was just like he he learned at Fleischer's, but he didn't spend 20 years learning, you know, like a lot of guys do in Europe or, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Um, And then he continued his education on his own. And I totally support that. You know, a lot of the old school guys are kind of like, well, they're not real butchers. These young guys that taught Mm -hmm. themselves like, yeah, but they don't have the infrastructure to do that. So we're working with a different premise. And um, I just started a butcher's guild to kind of help support that. But wow, how do you become involved? um, You go to butcher's guild dot org awesome i mean that's good i mean we're, yeah. we're definitely looking to get more people involved and yeah we always talk about you know the need for young farmers and definitely the need for young butchers mm-hmm. and definitely the need for more processing plants in general mm-hmm. i mean infrastructure is so important i mean what have you found to be like one of the biggest challenges for for creating more of this infrastructure talking to these butchers um well the leitmotif of these conversations with farmers and ranchers is we need more slaughterhouses. Mm-hmm. That's something you'll definitely hear a lot of. And um, I, I'm happy to, to report that the USDA is finally um, creating standards for um, for mobile slaughter units, which mm-hmm. are easier to get started and cheaper to get started. So that's, that's cool. Um, but uh, the infrastructure is really expensive and, um, and that's, you know, that's the challenge. It's just like, it, it's really hard to, if you're raising 30 chickens that, um, or you're, you you want to kill 30 chickens a week to take to the farmer's market to drive them four hours or whatever is like, it's, that's a ridiculous cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't kill all your profit or yeah. anything you could make there. So what are, I just, just to kind of clarify as far as like expensive infrastructure, what mm-hmm. kind of things are, I mean, we're talking about obviously like the physical building. Mm-hmm. But, but what else is there? I mean, do you have a sense for what what are, like, the big pieces of equipment? Mm-hmm. I know you know, too, from the processing end. Yeah. That I know I feel like when I've been in, in like, processing places, it's, like, the, the super extra large Mario world where yeah. everything's just, like, yeah. the kitchen, the restaurant kitchen, but giant. Yeah, it's um, Do you have a sense for, like, the cost of some of that type of equipment and, like... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's ridiculously expensive. It it varies so much on like how much your product you're moving through, like a really fancy cryovac machine, Mm -hmm. um, you know, can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, that's not to say that everyone has that machine, you know, ours costs much less than that, but, um, it's not just like, first of all, you have to get the animals every week. If you're, you know, if you have a local food system, like people want to buy meat every week in the industrial food system, people usually send their stuff off once a year, a couple times a year. Right. So every week you have to drive a truck and then you have to pay for it to be slaughtered. And then if you want to keep your O'Fall, um, usually or in the heads and stuff, usually you have to pay extra for that. Then you have to get it from there to a place where it gets butchered. And, um, if and you're usually gonna resell, those places are different, right? Like yeah, they're the usually different. The slaughterhouse and the processing house are in a different location. Yeah, usually they're different, um, especially if you're, you need it to be under USDA inspection, which if you're going to resell it, you do. Then it gets butchered, it gets packaged, it gets stored, it gets distributed, it gets labeled. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that stuff, it seems little, but, you know, the thing about meat really is that even though it's expensive when it gets, when you get, get it at the grocery store, everybody along the way is making pennies. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, 
pushes you to grow, expand, centralize. And that's what's happened to the industrial meat system. And um, it's, it's very, very hard for people who need to actually get the value back from what it costs to take to get that animal to you to really, you know, get back what that costs them is well, it's a lot of money. <laughs> so in your in your travels across the US and visiting different kind of retail butcher outlets or restaurants, I mean, did you notice as far as as price wise, like, was that a struggle for restaurants? Was that a struggle for retail shops? Were they having trouble kind of commanding a fair price for their goods? Or I mean, how does that whole marketing and merchandising factor work into the, the butchering? Um, profession. Yeah, it is hard. I mean, I think the reason that these kinds of things have really taken off in the Bay Area and in New York is because there's just more people. So that tiny percentage of people that's really values food and and has the money to spend on that stuff is just more people. Mm -hmm. So but um, people value it all over the country and are interested in it. And I think buying whole animals is really the thing that's kind of made it work in restaurants. And um, yeah, you have a section of that in your book too, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, is it buying whole animals for like individuals? Yeah. Yeah. I had a meat CSA in California. Um, and there's lots of them around the country. And, um, I just, I really encourage that for people. If only, just to go and meet a farmer and see all the steps that I just described and go through them. It's really, you know, and you can just find a butcher and they'll help you go through it. It's not like you have to be carting animals all over the county. (laughs) Like it's not that complicated, but it's really fun to know what the pieces of meat are and to have great meat in your freezer all the time and to meet the person who raised it. Like every time you pull out, you know, a roast or whatever from your freezer, you have a story to tell. Changes the whole experience. Yeah. It gets everyone like more involved and excited about it, definitely. Totally. And it's cheaper. I, yeah, I, def- I have a friend whose mom, you know, they bought a whole pig, and then every time they pulled the roast out, it was like, okay, a little more Bob tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I will say that um, Marisa's book has a wonderful kind of reference section in the back. I thought that was so smart to include. So if your mouth is watering at the, you know, thought of a, a fridge or a freezer packed with delicious meats, um, there's definitely a whole section um, with resources all across the country yeah. to to source meat, to find butchers. So make sure to to check that out. And there, we wanted to ask them um, earlier because I, I know you know talking to a lot of chefs, they're always looking for blood. <laughs> what did, does that come up in conversation when you're talking a lot of butchers, like with like people that want to like buy blood or trying to sell blood? <laughs> <laughs> kind of crazy blood black market. Yeah. I did. I have actually a customer in California who makes films, like horror films, Uh-oh. and I store up blood for him. Um, but, yeah, there's a grocery store in the book called Buy Right that's a customer of ours, and they get a bucket of blood every week, and really? I laugh every single time I place it. I'm like, bucket of blood for Buy Right, blood sausage. <laughs> uh, just yeah, Buy Right is like the most shishi, fancy little grocery store. I mean, it's very cute. Yeah, best ice cream. I wonder. Cream. I like. I never, you know, I never saw the bucket of blood section there. I wonder <laughs> if it's like the olive oil that you can put in your own pork container. Like, secret. You have to know to ask for it. Yeah, definitely. That, you know, there's different rules in all different parts of the country. Like, um, I was talking to John at Franny's, and he's, like, really wants to get tripe. And I guess I'm like, just ask your farmer to, when they take it to the slaughterhouse to get it. But in New York, it's not – you can't resell it. So he was trying to find a source outside of it. Like, in California, we just get it when we get the cows. So all that stuff like blood and ofal, there's, you know, different little parochial rules about it around the country. Yeah, and I think that's the thing – 
too to realize is you have the the USDA inspection, which is a national inspection, but mm-hmm. then things vary from state to mm-hmm. state. And then if you want to sell your food, you know, where it crosses Cross state, state lines, line. mm-hmm. say you run a retail business and people want you to ship, you know, you have those issues too. So yeah. lots of kind of good stuff. Yeah. And we're excited to come back after the break. We're going to take a few moments and talk a little bit more about Primal Cuts. Awesome. Just a perfect day Drink sangria in the park And then later When it gets dark we go home Just a perfect day Feed animals in the zoo Then later, a movie too, and then home Oh, it's such a perfect day I'm glad I spent it with you Oh, such a perfect day Perfect day to talk about primal cuts. Indeed, we are back. Heritage Radio Network's Farm Report. Heather and Aaron here with Marisa Gujana, author of the new book Primal Cuts: Cooking with America's Best Butchers. Uh, you can find this book. Um, I know on Amazon.com. I'm um, in most big uh, bookstores. Where, where can yeah, you find it? It's also at lots of great independent bookstores. I don't know what they are in New York necessarily, but. Um and it's at William Sonoma's. So I'm sure we have a, a website we could check out where to buy this book. Yeah, primalcuts.net. We'll have all the places. And um, yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, we want to talk now. You know, we've been talking about meat and, and slaughtering and butchering. What about vegetarians? What is a vegetarian? Uh, how do you <laughs> feel about vegetarians? Vegetarians. <laughs> I hate them. (laughs) I was a vegetarian, actually, for a really long time. Um, I grew up as, like, a really condescending Northern California punk rocker, and um, I was vegan. Wow. Yeah. Straight-edge vegan? No. Skateboarder? Straight-edge vegan? I wasn't boring. I was just (laughs) vegetarian. Sorry, Austin. Uh, (laughs) No. Um, But... And I have respect for that choice. I just, I think that um, everybody's body chemistry is different. And I think that the first thing that you need to do is nourish yourself and the people you love. And I think if you like really eat with care and do, you know, what your body tells you is right, um, then you'll make good choices. I don't eat that much meat now, mostly because every time I leave the house, people want to give me meat. So I know like (laughs) I don't really need to store up at home because there will be protein in the world for me. I mean, and also I've found that with a lot of my vegetarian friends, you know, um, if they knew more about where their meat was coming from, how it was produced, who was handling it, just like kind of, you know, what you just discussed in your book, maybe they wouldn't be vegetarians. Yeah. I mean, if you're an ethical vegetarian, I think it's worth supporting uh, a local farm if you would like to eat protein, but you just feel bad about it there are options there's great options out there you know so yeah speaking of kind of a notable former vegetarian in your book josh applestone of flight shares meat kind of one of the one of the famous uh butcher shops in this area 
I, I was surprised to learn when reading through your book that he was actually a vegetarian when they opened the shop. Yeah. And one of the things I he speaks to in his bio section was the fact that at their shop they're selling not meat but they're selling trust mm. that a yeah. customer can kind of walk in the door and know that anything they, they buy at Josh's shop is quality is fresh is accessible and yep. Heather and I were talking about that a little bit before the show you know how you build this I- image of trust because I think people feel that way about things that maybe people in this room don't like McDonald's for mm-hmm. example you know you're driving across the country in your Prius mm-hmm. you know you go into a McDonald's kind of what to expect and on I some trust level, that their bathrooms will be clean you can I trust that their bathroom <laughs> yeah exactly you know and that you know you're not going to get sick from eating their meat mm. you know most likely and what are kind of the tools I know you had spoke earlier about the the butcher's guild but how do we work at um kind of raising the level of trust for for small small farmers small Mm. businesses like how do we create more of a brand image i think your book goes a lot to serve you know and start Mm. some of these conversations but have you seen anything out in your travels that you found particularly effective or have any thoughts on um well i think that um i mean definitely the butcher's guild that's something that we see needs to happen on a national level and we're hoping that you know if we if someone has a decal in their window that says they're a member of the butcher's guild that will mean something not just to butchers but to consumers but really it's just transparency i mean the industrial food system all happens behind a curtain happens behind like a sheath of secrecy for good reason like you probably don't want to know what's happening back there but if you do you should read CAFO I don't know if you guys have seen it yet by um, Dan Imhoff it's like everything that you want to know about about industrial meat but CAFO is confined animal feeding operation yeah so it's like photos and essays and it's really uh, just disgusting. <laughs> but I think just answering questions and making yourself very available to answer questions, having a direct relationship with your customers and the customers knowing that like, you know where the meat is coming from. You've been to the farm probably mm-hmm. and you cut it up yourself and um, you know where it was slaughtered and you're willing to talk about it and you find it enjoyable to talk about and you can tell them like how to cook that meat and all that stuff. Like that's that's what it's all about. You know, it's, it's just something that happens organically in every community in its own way, but just honesty and transparency. Yeah. I mean, I know that like after the first time I went, you know, out to paradise soccer meets in Trimble, Missouri and I watched it, which I'm sure you were there and you visited and you you spoke with Nick and Mario and all of our favorite people, the phantasmas. But, uh, I, you know, watched them, you know, slaughter a pig and I, 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 like brought tears to my eyes. It was so beautiful. And, Ever since then, you know, I've been eating head cheese and <laughs> things that I never would have thought that I would have tried before. And, you know, the transparency, once you do get a, a feel for what's out there, mm-hmm. you maybe will appreciate every part of that animal a little yeah. bit more when you, you see how it's done. And it all comes from the same. Yeah. So I mean, it's probably like a really rational response to not trust hamburger meat or, you know, like ground turkey meat which was probably like um cleaned with some kind of ammoniac uh cleanser or irradiated you know to kill the bacteria in it i mean there's good reason that you shouldn't trust that stuff and that you should know where your food comes from definitely i mean did you find that a lot of people you spoke to um are open to having visitors come to to where they're working whether it be a butcher or slaughterhouse um they had to be for to be in the book, really, because mm-hmm. otherwise um, wouldn't be very much fun for me or the reader. But 
Um, so there was no like undercover camera situation where you went in <laughs> and you're like expose. No, it wasn't like so. Channel Six <laughs> news or whatever. But um, th- I did get turned down, you know, at a lot of places, especially that do slaughter and um, and had conversations with people who were like, you know, I don't like people are really um, scared about um, what's it called. I'm totally blinking on the um, animal rights. Oh, PETA. Oh, PETA, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there, people are really, really freaked out about it. And even some people that are in the book are just, like, warning me, like, they're going to come after you. And, like, mm. <laughs> I mean, it seemed irrational to me, but some of the stuff they've said to people or done to people. And even the plant that we own, it used to just be lamb and veal. And in the 80s, um, you know, in California, there was a huge... Um, public awareness campaign about the way that veal was treated and and lambs and they um how young lambs were and the place just got completely attacked like the gate got torn down and they threw red paint everywhere and i mean it was like so what, could, i'm sorry what is the name of your plant anyway sonoma direct sonoma direct, sonoma direct. Mm-hmm. Good to know. yeah i think those i mean those are definitely issues that i feel like i've run into in new york state and it speaks to the transparency that mm-hmm. you were talking about earlier is how do we create a safe space for producers to talk about kind of the realities mm. of what it takes to produce food. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think you're constantly kind of running up against um, things that are now, I think, normal to, to, to us. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure over the course of like your, your travels that there, there's something changed in you or things that were kind of weird to you before are now totally normal. I know I spent the last year working up on a pig farm. And so like, it was normal to me to go and like pull chickens and mm-hmm. yeah. and you know do all this stuff. And I had friends come up and visit, and they were like blown away. I mean, yeah. are there has anything like that happened to you where you're like, this is totally normal, and then you're in like a new crowd, and you're like, people are freaking out. Yeah, I mean, and I've been in the meat business too, so like I have a very high <laughs> shock threshold for stuff. But actually, I spent a month in the Hudson Valley this fall and I was going to a writing retreat and I thought like, oh, cool, I'm going to get away. I'm going to work on the project totally unrelated. I'm not going to think about meat for like a month. <laughs> and I get there and like two of the artists are really, really working on projects based around meat and slaughter and livestock. I was like, of course. But one of the artists who's a, um, who's Argentinian was doing a project um, on where he would buy a, a live animal and sort of live with it for a couple of days and then slaughter it and serve the food and then and document the whole thing. Makes these beautiful photographs. So everyone was really cool with it when the animal came and even like through the slaughter, like he went off in the woods and did it and everything. We kept the pelt and all this stuff. But when we actually ate the food and started like drinking wine and sitting around like looking at this carcass, like mm. everyone got really upset and really like moved by it and had to work through it and then I was like god I feel so cold like I just um you know like of course this is great this is like the you know it's beautiful and I didn't have that emotional reaction but I realized that other people are really shocked hmm. by the fact that their animal was a living thing and they kind of you just sort of have to go through that process and then come out the other side of it I guess yeah and hopefully uh, something good comes out of it yeah um, what were some of like the most exciting things or interesting things that you ate um, along your trip? <laughs> um, I had a really good pig head stew in Chicago at Motto. Um, everybody's like weird little family recipe sausages were great. Um, I had a good pig ear terrine in mm. um, Boston. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, just charcuterie galore. Totally. Um, I really appreciated the things like, um, for Easter, I had a lamb that, um, the people that I was eating with, um, had actually killed themselves and had like waited to serve and lamb on Easter is just like really beautiful and symbolic and, um, all the things that I ate at people's kitchen tables were really like the most special. Yeah. I'm sure it had to do with like conversation as well. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to ask about, um, like, your book tour and, like, who helped you set this up? I mean, this isn't like you sitting at a bookstore signing books. <laughs> this is, like, you know, what we're talking about with these chefs who are doing things to, like, teach people. I mean, you're, you know, what you got going on. There's sausage demos and, yeah. you know, sustainable meat, like, classes. Uh, tell us a little bit about this tour and what's, what's upcoming now that we're pretty much halfway through it. Yeah. Um, well, my publisher, Welcome Books, is really great and super supportive of the book and, um, it seems sort of weird to just sit in a bookshop and sign books, like, um, because (laughs) boring. And also, I mean, there's this amazing network of people who are in the book. And so, and they're excited about being in the book too, I hope. And so it's fun to go back around and revisit people and celebrate with them. Like I wrote this book and you're in this book. Like it really happened. Yeah. It really (laughs) happened guys. I have it. (laughs) Tangible. Um, so there's lots of cool things like, um, tonight I'm going to be at public restaurant and, um, on Elizabeth street and, um, we're having a dinner in the Monday room there. And, um, tomorrow night I'll be at the meat hook doing a panel with, um, with Tom Mylan and, um, the editor of diner journal is moderating. Um, and then a couple William Sonoma events at noon, um, tomorrow and Saturday and I'll be at Fleischer's. It'll be really fun. He's doing a whole day of like going to the farm and slaughter and butchering, and then we're gonna have a dinner awesome. in the evening. Yeah. When is that? That's on Sunday. That sounds pretty fun. And then yeah. you go to Indiana, Colorado. Wow, going back to California, Texas. Yeah. Oregon. It's gonna it's be pretty fun. exciting. A lot of the events are the butchers on their own, um, but. It's cool. I mean, there's been an opportunity to have a lot of really great discussions like the one that we're having right now that aren't just like, you wrote a book, here's a five-minute spiel. It's like, let's talk about what's happening in your community and how you can help. Like, it feels like just getting people interested in their food. Is yeah, so point. on that note, what's what's next for you? What's the po- I mean, are you going to delve deeply into root vegetables or <laughs> you kind of like try and you know hit the other end of the spectrum or what what's on the agenda um after you know taking some time of course to bask in the glory <laughs> um well uh the, i'm really interested in getting the butcher's guild off the ground and then um actually next month i'm i start traveling again for my next book which is um, also with welcome books about, uh, staff meals in restaurants. Oh, cool. Family time. Family meal. Yeah. So I'm really excited. I worked in restaurants for many years, so I'm excited to just like delve into restaurant culture and, um, and just hang out with them after hours and oh, good. <laughs> definitely. That sounds like an awesome time. Yeah. Have, really have you already decided on like what restaurants you're going to be talking to or working with? I've got about half of them, but I'm still open to suggestions. Yeah. If anyone wants to. How do we get in touch with you? Um, you could, uh, email me at Twitter at Googe, G-U-G-G. Awesome. Yeah. If you guys uh, want to be part of Marissa's next book or uh, just ask her a question and just uh, all that good stuff, check out 
butchersguild.org mm-hmm. and then uh, primal primalcuts.net awesome or come out to public tonight thank yeah. you so much thank for coming you. and it was really great talking to you and I really look forward to kind of following your work over the next couple of years and checking out some of the great recipes in your book yeah That's everyone fun. go check it out it's beautiful easy to read and uh, really well put together so uh, thanks. thanks Marissa for coming in thank see y'all listen to y'all next week on the Farm Report Heritage Radio Network thanks Jack and Nat You've been listening to The Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. Coming up next, Greenhorn Radio is back. Severin will be live on the air at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And remember to vote for Roberta's for New York City Restaurant of the Year on Eater. So go to www.ny.eater.com and vote for Roberta's. And as always, follow us on Twitter for news, updates, and giveaways at HRN Updates. Thanks for listening.